the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. There is nothing more that we have to do to pay for our sins. Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't say, it's a start. Now you got to take it the rest of the way. Jesus paid it all for us on the cross, and all of our sins are completely blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And after he cried out, it is finished, it says Jesus yielded up his spirit. This is why he came. He came to die for our sins. Jesus gave us many things during his time here among the people, but the most significant of those came from his death. The prophecy of the sacrifice for all of man's sins dates back to hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. His time here was miraculous and amazing, was only a small part of his purpose for you and me. In today's message, Pastor Dan reiterates the importance and the purpose of Jesus. He was created to be the only living thing pure enough to fulfill God's promise of salvation. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Matthew chapter 27 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Psalm 22 would have immediately come to the minds of the Jews that were gathered there at the foot of the cross. In fact, in ancient times, the rabbis would teach scripture to children by stating the first verse of a passage, and then the children would recite the rest of the passage. And here Jesus states the first verse of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Christ, but it describes in detail his crucifixion. Psalm 22 describes the mockers mocking him. It describes the Roman soldiers casting lots for his clothing. It even mentions his hands and feet being pierced. And once Jesus said that first verse of Psalm 22, no doubt some in the crowd began reciting the rest of the psalm in their minds and seeing its fulfillment all around them in the scene that's taking place. And so what happens? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, they said, well, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, well, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. The mockers aren't mocking anymore, are they? The whole atmosphere has changed. Three hours of darkness in the middle of the day will change the mood. Everyone is serious now. Everyone is sober now and saying, well, he's calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes. Someone else ran to get him a drink. Psalm 22 verse 15 tells us that Jesus's tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth while he was on the cross. Probably from 
severe dehydration due to his blood loss during the scourging. His tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth made it difficult to understand him when he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Eli is a shortened form of the name Elijah. And so some in the crowd thought Jesus is calling for Elijah, the prophet, to come. Now, for you note takers, the last prophecy in the Old Testament in Malachi chapter four, verse five, is that Elijah will come before the Messiah. Malachi chapter four, verse five says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's the last promise of the Old Testament. And you may remember from the Old Testament that Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire to heaven. And the Jews believe that when Elijah comes back, that he will come back in a similar fashion, a very dramatic fashion, maybe coming down from heaven in a chariot of fire. And so some in the crowd said, well, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Do you see how the tone of the crowd has, has changed now from mocking to concern? In verse 48, someone takes a sponge and soaks it, it says, in sour wine. Your translation might say vinegar. Now, vinegar mixed with water was a very common drink at that time that people drank every day with their meals. Aren't you glad you live in a time in history when we have iced tea? And Coca-Cola. Back then you drank vinegar and water. And they, you know, they stuck the sponge soaked with sour wine with vinegar on a reed. And they held it up to Jesus to drink up to his lips. John's gospel tells us they used a hyssop stalk. And that's a significant detail. That detail would jump out to a Jewish reader who knows their Old Testament. The Israelites used hyssop stalks to apply the blood of the lamb to their doorposts at the first Passover. And remember, when God saw the blood of the lamb, his judgment passed over that house. And so hyssop is associated with the first Passover and the blood of the Passover lamb. And here's Jesus, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, crucified during Passover. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, hyssop is associated with the cleansing of sins. Psalm 51, David prays, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He writes that after his sin with Bathsheba. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So it's fitting that we see hyssop used at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because he died to cleanse us of our sins and to deliver us from God's judgment. Now, after Jesus drank the sour wine, verse 50 says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And we know from the other gospel accounts, Jesus cried out what? It is finished. He cried out, it is finished. The price for sin is paid in full. That's what it is finished means. To tell us die. Paid in full. They would actually write that when somebody had a debt and you paid off your debt, the person you owed the debt to would write to tell us die across the note. 
It's paid in full. It is finished. The redemption of man is complete. There is nothing more that we have to do to pay for our sins. Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't say, it's a start. Now you got to take it the rest of the way. Jesus paid it all for us on the cross, and all of our sins are completely blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And after he cried out, it is finished, it says Jesus yielded up his spirit. This is why he came. He came to die for our sins. He came to give his life as a ransom for our sins, to redeem us from sin and death. And once that was accomplished, his work is finished and he yields up his spirit. And then verse 51, behold, the veil of the temple was torn and two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The veil in the temple separated the holy of holies from the holy place. And the holy of holies is where the presence of God once dwelt and only the high priest could enter into the holy of holies and into the presence of God one day of the year on the day of atonement to apply blood to the mercy seat for the sins of the people. He was only in there for a few moments, long enough to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and then he would leave. And that curtain that was there, that is torn from top to bottom, that veil that was in the temple, it was some 60 feet long and 30 feet wide. It was made of four-inch thick woven fabric. You know, picture like the thickness of your hand, the width of your hand. And it's torn in two. That veil reminded the people, it was a physical reminder that God is holy and they are not. That man is sinful and they cannot come into the presence of a holy God. They are separated from him because of their unholiness, because of their sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn. Notice from top to bottom, not bottom to top. God is the one who tore the veil. The death of Jesus Christ provides us with access to God. Through Jesus Christ, we can come into God's presence whenever we want. We're no longer separated from God by our sins. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And now we can come boldly and confidently into the presence of God because our sin has been dealt with through Jesus Christ. Through his shed blood on the cross, our sin has been removed. And now we can come into God's presence. Charles Spurgeon wrote, It is not a slight rent through which we may see a little, but it is a rent from the top to the bottom. There is an entrance made for the greatest sinners. If there had only been a small hole cut through it, the lesser offenders might have crept through. But what an act of abounding mercy is this, that the veil is rent in the midst and rent from top to bottom so that the chief of sinners may find ample passage. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad it's not just a little hole? It's completely rent in two. No one else died for your sins. No one else provides access to the father for you. This is why Jesus said no one can come to the Father but through me. He's the only one who died for us. He's the only one who has dealt with our sins for us. 
He's the only way who's provided a way for us. And it says after Jesus died that there was a great earthquake. The rocks were split open. All of creation was affected by the death of Jesus Christ. And verse 52, look at verse 52. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep. That's how a believer is described. Death for a believer is falling asleep. It's temporary. They were raised. And coming out of the graves, note, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, this is one of the most unusual things recorded in all of the Bible. And Matthew is the only one who mentions this. It seems that these people came out of the graves after the resurrection of Jesus, according to verse 53. They were resurrected and they went into the city of Jerusalem and they were seen by many. And this is all that is said about these people that were raised after the resurrection of Jesus. We don't know anything else about them. We don't know who they were or how long they were there or anything like that. It seems that they were recognized by people in the city. It could be that they were some of the Old Testament patriarchs and prophets, similar to Elijah and Moses appearing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, and they were recognized by Peter, James, and John. One thing this shows us is Jesus died and rose again to give life. This is a little foretaste of what will happen to all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Though we may die, yet we shall live, the Bible says. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. So that brings us to verse 54. So when the centurion, that would be a Roman officer, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So the Roman soldiers, whose job it was, was to crucify people, When they see all of this happen, they confess that Jesus is the Son of God. These are non-believers. And they know he's the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, or Mary from Magdala, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. That would be James and, and John. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man. Note that he's rich from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. So Joseph of Arimathea comes and we're told that he was he was rich. He was a wealthy man. 
We're also told in the other Gospels he was a member of the Sanhedrin, that Jewish Supreme Court that condemned Jesus. But Luke's Gospel tells us that Joseph did not consent to the decision of the Sanhedrin against Jesus. Uh, As a member of the Sanhedrin, he was a prominent person in the community. Now, Luke's gospel also tells us that Joseph was a good and just man, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He was waiting for and looking for the Messiah of Israel to come. Much like many of us are waiting for Jesus Christ to come for his church and take us to heaven. Amen? We're looking for that, waiting for that. And we're told Joseph had also become a disciple of Jesus. And, and maybe because of his position in the community as a member of the Sanhedrin, maybe Joseph had some kind of relationship with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And so he goes to Pilate, verse 58, And he asked for the body of Jesus. He's going to him for personal favor. And then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. John's gospel tells us Nicodemus also went with Joseph. And the two of them took the body of Jesus, verse 59. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Joseph and Nicodemus prepared the body of Jesus for burial. Now, the Jews at that time, they had a ceremony that they would do as they were preparing a body for burial. There were certain prayers that they would recite as they were preparing a body for burial. And one of the other things that they would do is they would actually talk to the deceased person and explain what they were doing to the body as they were, as they were, you know, like, I'm going to turn you over now and I'm going to, you know, whatever. I've never wrapped a dead body in a linen cloth before, so I'm not really sure what the protocol would be. But Joseph and Nicodemus, you know, they had the privilege of preparing the body of Jesus for burial. They're not expecting a resurrection, are they? You know, they're not saying, well, we don't need to wrap them up. We just prop them up in the corner and wait three days kind of thing. Now look at verse 60. And they laid it, his body, In his, Joseph's, new tomb, note here that he had hewn out of the rock. That's an important detail. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. That's another important detail. And then he departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. So Mary Magdalene is there watching where he's buried. And the other Mary, you know, the other Mary, she's also there. Sitting opposite the tomb. Now, Archaeologists have discovered over a thousand tombs in and around Jerusalem dating to the time of Jesus Christ. Only 2% of them, only 2% of them are hewn out of rock and have a rolling stone to close the opening of the tomb. Most people were buried in caves because Rock-cut tombs were too expensive for the average person. And most tombs from that time had a square block of stone to close the opening, and the block of stone slid into the opening, kind of like a cork in a bottle. Only the wealthy nobility and royalty were buried in a tomb that was hewn from rock 
with a rolling stone to cover the door. The tomb fits the description of Joseph. We're told that he's rich, that he's wealthy. Joseph could afford the most expensive kind of tomb used by the upper classes and nobility. And it's appropriate that Jesus would be buried in a tomb like this because Jesus is royalty. He's the son of David. He's the rightful heir of the throne of David. He's the king of the Jews. And so it fits that he would be buried in a wealthy man's tomb like this. This also fulfills prophecy. Isaiah 53, 9 says, They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Right? His grave with the wicked. He's crucified between two robbers, but he's buried in a rich man's grave. And oh, by the way, our sins were buried with him too. And God remembers our sins no more. So verse 62 On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, that would be the day of preparation was preparing for the Sabbath day. So the next day would be the Sabbath day. So this is the Sabbath day. The chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. But the chief priests and the Pharisees, they have no rest concerning Jesus. So they go to Pilate saying, sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Isn't it interesting that the religious leaders know that Jesus said he would rise again on the third day? Have you ever had a conversation with a non-believer and maybe you're kind of surprised by what they do know about Jesus and what they do know about the Gospels? These guys know he's going to rise again on the third day. Therefore, Command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, steal his body, and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, I love Pilate's answer here. You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Make the tomb as secure as you want. It's not going to matter. So verse 66, so they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So they sealed the stone, meaning they roped it off. They put up like police tape around it, sealed it with wax. They put a wax seal on it, a Roman seal to make it official to make it a crime now to tamper with this tomb. And then they stationed troops outside the tomb to guard the tomb. There's no way now anybody's going to get that body, right? No safeguard they put in place is going to matter. No schemes or plans of man can stop the Lion of Judah from rising again. The third day Jesus Christ will rise again from the tomb. And we'll look at that next time. Lord, we thank you that you came and you died on the cross for us to take away all of our sins. We thank you that you stood in our place as our substitute and took all of our punishment and that you were willing to be separated from the Father so that we could have access to the Father. We thank you that you made a way for us where there was no way. We thank you that you died and you were buried 
our sins were buried with you. We thank you most of all, Lord, that you rose again, that you've given us a living hope through your resurrection. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Matthew, and he has more to share with you next time. How is what you're hearing from this book landing in your heart? If there's anything that's prompting you to seek out more questions or to ask for prayer in any way, would you be willing to give us a call and talk to us? Our desire is to hear your heart, pray with you, and ask for God to help you with whatever you might be wondering or thinking about. Our number is 410-491-4592. The number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. Just find our info under the About tab. If you're not connected with a local church, we encourage you to find a church family that will help guide and support you in your faith. And if you're in the area, please join us at Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in Columbia, Maryland. For more details, visit calvaryec.com. In our next edition, you'll have the opportunity to learn additional things from this first book of the New Testament. Pastor Dan has more to teach on from Matthew, and we're excited for you to join us as we continue growing. There's so much to appreciate by reading God's Word. We hope you'll tune in next time and be a part of our listening audience right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know His voice and it only takes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.